Are you between a rock and a hard place? Are you not sure if you're a sinner or a saint? Do you think you've lost your salvation? Let me take you to the New King James Version. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, and Jesus says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is strained? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Welcome to Save the Lost at All Costs. Hosted by Save the Lost at All Costs, Inc. Featuring your sister in Christ and humble servant of the Lord, Nina S. Griffin. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, will be done, in earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For you are the kingdom, and the power, and the glory of God. Amen. All right, thank you. Um. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I want to say thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to speak to the people of God and to other friends and to those who would want to come on board with us and be a part of the kingdom. Today our topic is, what is true conversion? What is true conversion? It is merely professing Christ as Lord and Savior. How and when is one converted, you may ask? Is it sudden? Is it immediate? Or is it a gradual process, lasting a lifetime? I come to find out that so many people struggle with problems, weaknesses, and sins. Does God expect overcoming growth from us? What does this mean? How is it done? What role does the Holy Spirit play in true conversion? What about faith? What about repentance? Many of us assume they must be perfect. Others judge God's way by the conduct of other Christians. Can one sin and remain a Christian, you may ask? What about forgiveness? Millions seek answers to these questions. Here is the subject of Christian conversion plainly described in this lesson. When is a person converted, you may ask? I've known many who doubted their conversion because they had never been taught the meaning of true conversion. When under fire or under pressure, they lacked the confidence to know they could effectively address their problems. They were not sure that they even had the power to overcome them. Since the devil, the author of confusion, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14.33, the Bible says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So the author of confusion, Satan, the devil, he deceives the whole world. Revelations 12, verse 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. He also seeks to confuse professing Christians about this most important subject called conversion. By the way, I'll be quoting from the New King James Version of the Bible. So, just what is a real Christian? Are they those that attend church? Are they those who profess Jesus? Or profess that they know Christ? Are they those who have been baptized? Is there a single verse to which we can turn that gives the Bible definition of a real Christian that eliminates all confusion? Well, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. 
A Christian then is one who has the Holy Spirit leading him. But is having God's Spirit absolutely essential to being a Christian? By this point in the context, Paul had already said, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is not his, according to verse 9. Is it that simple? One either has the Spirit of God and is a Christian, or one does not have it and is not a Christian. All those who are truly converted have the Holy Spirit in them. But what does this mean? Is receiving God's Spirit all there is to Christianity and conversion, or is there more? Christ taught the apostles for 40 days after his resurrection, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 3. The Bible says, To whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus himself, the Christ, he instructed them to wait in Jerusalem until they would receive the Holy Spirit, which happened 10 days later, which is called on the Feast of Pentecost. The disciples asked Jesus if he was about to establish his kingdom on earth. Just before ascending to heaven, he said, in verse number 7, he said, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to men in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Once he said that he disappeared into a cloud. Like the other apostles are waiting for power through the Holy Spirit, most people today wait for some kind of additional strength upon conversion. Tell a teenager that he will be given the keys to the family car and he will have no difficulty understanding that he is about to receive some real power. It is no different with a potential Christian waiting to receive God's spirit at repentance and baptism. Paul wrote Timothy in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Since Christians have a spirit of God, real power has come into their lives. Of course, the verse also says that a Christian demonstrates love and that his conduct reflects a sound mind. The fact that God's spirit imparts sound-mindedness is evident that God wants Christians to understand their calling, their conversion, God's purpose for them. God wants his people to be sound in his way. Of course, this must include understanding all the basic aspects of true conversion. When is the Holy Spirit given? How does one actually receive God's Spirit? And how can he know for certain that it has been given? Since this moment constitutes conversion, at what point can the, uh, can the would-be Christian be assured that God has given his Spirit? Since not having God's spirit precludes one from being 
a true Christian, surely God would not leave his servants in doubt as to whether they have it exactly when they received it. In the book of Acts, verse 2, verse 38, it states, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Receiving God's Spirit comes upon real repentance and a correct baptism. With this also comes the remission of sin or forgiveness. So there is a specific moment when conversion begins. There is a definite time when the Holy Spirit enters the mind and one becomes a true Christian and God has begotten a new son. However, there is more to understand. We must ask, is salvation now finished in the Christian? Is he or she now saved? Is the newly begotten child of God suddenly perfect, unable to ever sin or go wrong because he thinks he has been saved? Real Christian conversion is a gradual process of growing and overcoming, of changing and developing. But how? And at the end of the process, what does the finished Christian look like, you may ask? What does this have to do with the goal of a Christian? with what he or she is striving for as their final reward for having been a Christian. Throughout Jesus' ministry, Christ, he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom of God. Hidden within this message is the understanding of the awesome, incredible human potential for the one who truly yields to God. Wherever Christ went, he spoke about the coming kingdom or the government of God. While most of his parables were centered on this message, few that heard them understood their meaning. And when he spoke these parables, he always included how true Christians were qualifying to become part of that government. In Matthew chapter 13, you will find dozens of kingdom parables. This chapter begins with the parable of the sower and the seed, depicting one throwing seed into various locations and kinds of soil. In some cases, the parable describes how the seed grew and flourished in the person who received it. In other cases, it either died quickly at the starting to grow or took no root at all. Others who received the seed grew in character, 30, 60, or 100-fold on the way to the kingdom. This is followed by another parable, the parable of the wheat and the tares. This parable discusses fruit that appears in Christians' lives prior to the time God gathered them into his bond. The fruit, good or bad, represents Christian growth or lack of growth. The bond is a type of the kingdom. The third parable depicts the kingdom beginning as a tiny grain of mustard seed that grows into a great tree. This is followed by the parable of leaven depicting God's 
kingdom as leaven spreading until it has permeated the dough. That represents the earth or what people would say all nations. The fifth compares the kingdom to a hidden treasure found in a field. The finder sells all that he has to buy this field. In the sixth parable, it describes a pearl of great price, which a person buys after selling all that he has to raise sufficient money for the purchase. The seventh and final parable of this one chapter describes the kingdom of a net, gathering all kinds of fish. The good fish are kept. The bad are thrown away. Christ explains that the good fish are those who enter the new kingdom. The bad represents those who are burned, according to verse 50, and destroyed in a furnace of fire. In each of these parables, the message is the same. Some, not all, are willing to pay the price to be a Christian. They are willing to spiritually grow and develop real Christian character so that they may later inherit the eternal reward of becoming born. No more, no longer merely begotten sons of God, but a son of God in his family, ruling with him in the kingdom of God. There are many other New Testament parables. Much of Christ's teachings was through the use of these stories about common, well-known things. They were intended to carry deep lessons about a Christian's calling for those whose minds have been opened by God to understand them. For Jesus said um, in Acts chapter 6, he said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's verse number 44. And also in that same chapter, verse 65, he says, Therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. You cannot even understand God's truth unless God has drawn you, called you to it through the power of his Spirit. So the process of coming to true Christian conversion begins with a calling or a drawing directly by the Father. The parables of the talents, penny, marriage supper, the ten virgins, the sheep and the goats, the unjust judge, the fig tree, the lost sheep, the lost corn, the parable about the prodigal son, the unjust steward, Lazarus and the rich man, even the parable about the good Samaritan and others all involve or depict a Christian entering the kingdom or governing family of God at Christ's second coming. Space could be taken to more closely examine each parable and demonstrate this. Though they are very short and others quite long, the purpose of most of Christ's parables is essentially the same. Second Peter helps us to understand in chapter 3, verse 18, he talks about grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. A Christian must always strive towards these two inseparable goals. Notice that the first priority is seeking the kingdom of God. He must also develop God's righteousness, his divine character. And when I say he, I mean he or she. The Apostle John recorded Christ's words. He said, in my father's house are many mansions or offices. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. First, there are many offices in God's house or in God's kingdom. Second, Christ is preparing these positions before he comes again. Third, Christians are not, um, Christian, I'm sorry, in chapter, chapter, in chapter 15 of the book of John, Christ continues by saying, I am the true vine. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, that it may bring forth more fruit. In verse number five, he says again, bring forth much fruit. And in verse eight, herein is my Father glorified, that you may bear much fruit. Finally, he says, I have chosen you that you should go and bring forth fruit. That's in verse 16 of John chapter 15. A Christian bears fruit in his life. We're talking about true conversion. So the Bible also says in verse number 8 in John 15, it says, so shall you be my disciples. Christ identifies us as one of his disciples, one of his God's begotten son. Now, God's pre-flood servant, Enoch, Noah's great-grandfather, he also preached about the coming kingdom of God. If you read in the book of Jude, Verse 14, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed, in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Verses 14 and 15. Also, Daniel wrote, he said, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forevermore. That's chapter 7, verse 18. And also in that same chapter of Daniel, verse 22, it says, Until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Verse 22, Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom 
is an everlasting kingdom. And all dominion shall serve and obey him. We find in the book of Revelation, it records in several places where Christ, through John, offers the kingdom to those who overcome. We're talking about true Christian conversion. And I'm your host today, Susan Parham from Randallstown, Maryland. In the book of Revelation, it says, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Verse 27, he says, He shall rule them with a rod of iron, and they shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father. And to him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Chapter 3, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We're talking today about true conversion, true Christianity. Also in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verses 4 to 6, it's talking about how John spoke about, he says, And I saw thrones, and they set upon them, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But this is the first resurrection. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. When coupled with Revelation 5 and 10, it is clear that the resurrected saints become both kings and priests, who reign on the earth with Christ. This knowledge is truly, truly special and precious. The world does not know about God's coming kingdom, which Christ will set up at his return, because according to Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, it tells us whose minds the people's minds, the God of this age has blinded. They do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So the God of this world, called Satan, the devil, has deceived mankind. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. Christians are in Daily training, talking about conversion. It is critical that they understand their training regime. We have explained that God gives his Holy Spirit at baptism, which takes place after repentance. But how is repentance achieved? Does one just declare by simple assertion? I have repented. Is this all there is to it? The answer is an emphatic no. It's not that simple. True conversion for Christians involves repentance. Repentance is a gift from God, just as much as one's initial calling. Speaking of Gentiles coming to conversion, according to Acts chapter 11, verse 18, it states, Then has God also, has God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 25 speaks of circumstances where God will give repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Also, in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, explains that it is God's goodness that leads to repentance. People do not woke up repentance 
in order to require God to give them his Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. People must seek God and ask for the gift of repentance. It is not automatic and should never be treated as such. But God grants repentance to all those who seek it and with their whole heart as David did in Psalms chapter 51. And I would encourage the listeners to pray Psalms 51 daily. When I first got saved, I was led to this Psalms. And I would read this Psalm two, three, four, five times a day. Matter of fact, I read, I, I read this Psalm every day for like 10 years. And then I began to read it in different versions of the Bible. And each time I would read it, the Spirit of God would speak to me. It starts off like, it says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitudes of your tender mercies, I'm asking that you would blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3 goes on to say, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have our sin. So we cannot point our fingers at our mother, our father, our sister, brother, neighbor, co-worker. We have sinned and we've done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Verse number 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth. God desires truth in the inward parts and in the hidden parts. He will make us to know wisdom. Verse 7 says, purge me with hyssop. Hyssop is like a cleansing agent. And it says, I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. It, it, God is the one who broke the bones. That's what the Bible says. Now verse 9 says, hide your face from my sins. Blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. The psalmist goes on to say in verse 11, Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. So I would encourage the listeners today to go back and pray through Psalms chapter 51. As I go on, exactly what does we, we need to repent of? As I prayed this prayer throughout the last 10 years, it's not a boast or a break. It was the Spirit of God driving me to this particular chapter to pray and to repent. The Bible says, all have sinned, Romans 3.23. What is sin? First John 3, verse 4 states, Sin is the transgression of the law. This refers to the law of God. It's a transgression. You broke the law. You will be considered, I will be considered a criminal. The normal fleshly or carnal mind is hostile to God, according to Romans 8 and 7. It, we, we, we are hostile. We're in, in conflict. People do not naturally obey God. Human nature disobeys, breaks God's law, and does so naturally. The psalmist says, I was born in iniquity. My mother conceived me in iniquity. A Christian keeps God's law. He does not just hear it or talk about it. That's a sign of true conversion. 
For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. Romans 2, verse 13. Therefore, God will only give his spirit to ones who have conquered, one who is willing to obey. Acts chapter 5, verse 32 tells us, and we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The world depicts God's law as, as harsh, burdensome. But John tells us, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. First John 5 verse 3. Also in your spare time read Romans 13 and 10. God's law is holy, just, good, and spiritual. It is through God's spirit that one is able to obey God and thereby practice the love of God. Romans 5 verse 5 states, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We're talking about true conversion. A repentant mind has turned from its own way. It wants to follow God. It is yielded to God. Yielded to his government, his authority. In its life. Such a mind strives to copy Jesus Christ. And produce the fruits of the spirit. Christ talked about bearing much fruit. He later inspired Paul through the Holy Spirit. To list the fruits of the spirit. In Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22 and 23. That says. The fruit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Temperance is self-control. There is no law against acting in this manner. The repentant mind has turned from the selfish gimme, gimme, gimme to the way of let me give. Let me give a prayer. Let me give money. Let me give time. Let me give a listening ear. Let me share. A Christian's entire thinking becomes transformed, changed completely to a whole new way of looking at life. The Christian lives by faith, Hebrews 10:38 and Habakkuk 2 and 4. But the faithful Christ, Revelations 14 and 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Not human faith is what it what it what makes it possible for a person to obey God, yet the person must demonstrate an initial faith that Christ has forgiven him at baptism, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. It is at this moment that a Christian's prior slate or state of conduct has been wiped completely clean and has become as white as snow cleansed by the blood of Jesus what can wash away my sins nothing but the blood of Jesus what can make me whole again nothing but the blood of Jesus Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, 
according to the riches of his grace. And Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Human faith is then replaced by God's faith in the now converted person. We have seen that faith is one of the fruits of God's spirit, which has entered into the Christian's mind at conversion and baptism. Do not misunderstand. God does not owe you or I his spirit because we have exercised faith and repentance. The Holy Spirit is a gift. Acts chapter 2 verse 38 as is repentance itself. God's Spirit is not something that we can earn by our works any more than salvation can be earned by our works. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 declares, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift, of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. True conversion. Let's recall that the power that comes with God's Spirit helps the person grow and overcome. This power is Christ living his life in the Christian. Without his help, the new convert gets nowhere fast. When Christ said, bring forth much fruit, John 15, 5. He followed it with, for without me, you can do nothing. I can do nothing. Human power, human energy only helps a person overcome in physical areas. Spiritual problems cannot be conquered through physical, mental, or emotional effort. Remember, Christ is the vine. We are the branches. Branches must be connected to the vine. And this happens through God's spirit working in our minds. When speaking of this, Christ said, out of his belly, out of our belly, shall flow rivers of living water. John chapter 7, verse 8. As it performs good works, God's spirit flows out of the Christian. Therefore, it must be replenished or it will be depleted and disappear completely. This is why Christ said, If you know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Luke eleven thirteen. You must ask. I must ask in prayer daily for more of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 And my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Ephesians 6.10 Jesus also said, with God, all things are possible. Matthew nineteen twenty six. With God's Spirit actively working and growing in you and in I, this can be true of us. But truly, deep conversion does not occur overnight. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, that they were babes in Christ, 1 Corinthians 3 and 1. 
He described how they required milk instead of meat for food. The brand new Christian is much like an infant by analogy. He first learns to roll over, then crawl before walking, and even then at first it is an unsteadily tulling type fashion. Only later does he finally learn to run spiritually. Paul understood this. He compared conversion to running a race, 1 Corinthians 9.24. Of course, though not right away, the runner must at some point develop more speed because Paul says run that you may obtain, that you may win. Such is the Christian way of life, slow, steady growth through daily practice, produces progress in the life of the person who is copying Christ. The new Christian sincerely strives from the heart to be different, to turn around and go the other way, the way of God for the rest of his or her life. But it is the Christian's is the Christian path easy? Is becoming Christ-like in character the proverbial cakewalk? Absolutely not. If we return to the Sermon on the Mount for Christ's own answer, he said, enter you in at the straight. That word straight means the difficult gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It has always been only the very few who are willing to pay the price to live this difficult way of life. Remember, Christians run. Running takes effort. It is hard work. Runners grow fatigue after expanding a lot of energy. If you watch people in a long-distance race as they near the finish line, they are tired, worn out, beat. Running is never easy. And sometimes, like a cross-country or a marathon participant, the runner has to go up and down hills over broken ground as well. Paul himself said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3.14. In the previous verse, he said that he had learned to forget those things which are behind and to reach forth to the ultimate goal that was ahead of him. If a runner has pressed himself throughout a large race, a long race, excuse me, he is totally spent at the end. Yet, if he gives up, he has no chance of winning. And all of his practice and effort and participation or preparation for victory is wasted. So no matter how tired the runner becomes, he remembers, with God, all things are possible. Paul also spoke of Christianity as wrestling, Ephesians 6 and 12. Anyone who has wrestled knows it is very strenuous, sometimes to the point of nausea and vomiting. He also compared it to fighting, 1 Timothy 6 and 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, 2 Corinthians 10, 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Nothing about war is pleasant or easy. It is dangerous and usually results in many casualties, some wounded, others killed. This is why Paul cautions Christians to war a good fight. Christ is called the captain of our salvation, Hebrews 2 and 10. 
The inexperienced and untrained soldier can easily become a casualty of war if he does not submit to authority and follow his captain's orders. We are at war in the name of Jesus. Christians are at war on three different fronts. They must be vigilant, not neglecting potential danger for any of the three enemies who regularly confront them. Well, listen, friends, we're running out of time, so there will be a part two, and we'll pick up with resisting the three enemies. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 6 about the six pieces of the armor of the Christian. And remember, pray Psalms 51, for we're here to save the lost at all costs. God bless you. It is our humble prayer that the Most High God of all creation and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ continues to bless you and yours without cease for tuning in today and supporting this great move of God with your generous donations. Save the Lost at All Costs is a Holy Spirit-filled, live-called-in weekly radio ministry that has been airing since 2005 and serving in the greater Las Vegas community. We can be heard every Sunday at 3.02 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Las Vegas' very own Christian Talk radio stations, 1060 AM and 101.5 FM. Also, we are audio and video streamed in real time during our live broadcast at www.kkvv.com and our website, www.savethelostlv.org. If you would like to re-listen to a previous broadcast at no charge, make an online secure donation, or learn more about our ministry, please visit our website at www.savethelostlv.org. If you prefer, you could mail in a donation. Address it to Save the Lost at All Cost, Inc., P.O. Box number 335852, North Las Vegas, 89033. Again, our P.O. Box number is 335852, North Las Vegas, 89033. All donations made to Save the Lost at All Costs, Inc. are 100% tax deductible. For more information, please feel free to call or text us at 702-219-6882. Again, 702-219-6882. We would like to thank you again. Remember to remain in Christ, stay prayed up, tune in, and don't forget to save the lost at all costs, no matter what.